you're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free guide on five better ways to serve students with exceptional needs. To claim your free PDF, all you have to do is go over to thatmusicteacher.com slash exceptional learners, and I'll send it right to your inbox. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about something near and dear to my heart, trauma sensitivity in the music classroom. Like most music teachers out there, I have many students that walk through my door that have experienced more trauma than any child should ever have to experience. These adverse childhood experiences alter the way that our students are able to learn, both on physical and emotional levels. As I've mentioned previously, I spent my first year out of college outside of the music classroom. I had the wonderful experience to be able to work with students on IEPs and 504s as part of the intervention team at my school. This allowed me to become much more familiar with sensory and emotional differences in my students. When I transitioned to having my own music classroom, I wanted to make sure that I used my experiences to make sure that I set up my classroom to allow for all students to be successful. So as I sat down to record this episode, I thought about the ways that I've set up my own classroom to make sure that those students that have experienced trauma are able to be successful. This is by no means an exhaustive list of ways to make our classroom accessible to those students, but it's kind of like the tip of the iceberg, so that we can make sure that we're setting up all of our students to be successful. According to the CDC, adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, are events in the life of a child that are potentially traumatic. Events such as experience violence, abuse, or neglect, witnessing violence within a home, and more are all adverse childhood experiences. As the number of ACEs increase, so does the risk for negative outcomes. The presence of these experiences does not mean a child will experience poor outcomes. However, the higher a child's ACEs score, the more likely it is that a student will develop a mental health condition, chronic disease, or to engage in risky behaviors. I think it's important to address the conditions that put children and families at risk of ACEs so that we can prevent these ACEs before they happen, as well as trying to mitigate the effects of those prior adverse childhood experiences. If you're interested in learning more about the ACEs study, which I totally recommend, check out the show notes for this episode. I'll share some articles to read, as well as a link for you to take the ACEs assessment to see how many adverse childhood experiences apply to your own childhood. Now that we've talked briefly about the types of trauma that our students bring in as emotional baggage into our classroom, let's talk about the ways that we can help our students be successful in spite of their previous adverse experiences. The first thing we need to do as teachers is to meet students where they are. I really hope that this is not a novel idea for most of us, as I would argue that this is one of the foundations of good teaching. However, it's, this is so important that I had to include this at the top of my list. Our students all have diverse needs. They all have unique life experiences that shape their proficiency and specific emotional and academic skills. As educators, we must meet our students at the level they are in order to allow them to show growth, regardless of the concept or skill. We must meet the needs of our students before we are going to see academic growth. What this looks like for each student will be completely different. Each child has different needs and emotional baggage, so assuming that we can use a one-size-fit-all approach to participation and effort is misguided. Sometimes our students are having a great day when they're simply able to make it through the class without needing to be removed from our room. We as teachers need to recognize this success. It's all about small steps that will help these students begin to feel comfortable and let down their walls in our classroom. While I'm on the subject of student removal, let me say this. 
I don't believe in removing quote-unquote problem children from my classroom. These students might not be easy, but they still deserve high-quality music education. Obviously, if students are being a danger to themselves or others, this is an entirely different situation. But if students aren't participating or aren't making the types of choices you would prefer, removing students from the room rarely solves the problem. Next, we're going to sit down and we're going to identify student needs. Okay, we've acknowledged that our students have different needs. Now comes the important part. Figuring out what the specific needs of our students are. I'm going to be honest, this is not easy, especially as music teachers. We see so many students that it can be hard to identify the needs of each and every one of our students. It would be crazy to ask one person to figure out the diverse and specific needs of hundreds of students, and thankfully, we don't have to do this alone. It can be incredibly helpful to work with the homeroom teachers, intervention specialists, and school counselors in order to help identify the needs of each student in environments that are not the music classroom. This information can often be directly related to their needs within the music classroom. Once we've identified what our students' needs are, then we can start to apply the interventions to hopefully meet the needs of that student. I fully understand that this is quite a daunting task. This is going to take some time to fully implement. It's not something that needs to be all or nothing. Just take some time to think about how to serve the students in your classes that have had, that have had to deal with trauma and other adverse experiences. All I ask is that you don't let the fear of how large of a task this is to stop you from trying in the first place. Next, we're going to take those needs and we're going to apply interventions to meet those needs. There are so many ways that we can apply interventions to help students meet those needs. What's awesome is that there are so many supports that we can implement incredibly easily. When used purposefully and appropriately, these supports and interventions can allow students the help they need to be successful. Some supports that I use in my classroom include a variety of fidgets with a variety of textures and tactile feedback, breaks for students, and rewards. I use fidgets very carefully because there is often a fine line between when a fidget is helping a student and when it is causing further distractions. I set up clear expectations for those students that use my fidgets, such as using them appropriately, that they're there to help them focus, and things like that, and I hold those students to those expectations. I have some students that really struggle with staying 100% focused on music for the entire class. Sometimes they physically can't go all the way through without being able to take a break. A break doesn't need to be anything crazy. Sometimes it could be as simple as allowing a student to go get a drink in the hallway and come right back. Some students might need a longer break. I've had students before that physically need a little bit of a longer break, so their homeroom teacher will come down and walk with them a little bit before returning him to class. The last tip that I wanted to share today was how I think about self-regulation in the music classroom. I found that putting a focus on practicing self-regulation, especially at the beginning of the year, pays dividends when it comes to classroom management and student behavior. Additionally, I think that this increased focus allows our students to be able to increase their ability to make emotionally sound decisions, which helps students in all facets of life. I occasionally take a minute or two and have students sit in their spots while listening to a calm piece of music and focus on their breathing as they listen. Not only is this a great way to having students listen intently to the music, it also helps them emotionally regulate in a meaningful way. I firmly believe that the music classroom is for so much more than teaching musical concepts and skills. Music is something that allows students to express their emotions that they might otherwise not know how to put into words. Don't get me wrong, this is not something that is easy. It can take a lot of time to put these systems into place, but I would argue that it's necessary and that's part of our job. We owe it to our students to put in the work to set them up for success in and out of the music classroom. So your homework this week is to think about your classroom and think of ways that you can make your classroom a little bit more accessible to those students that have experienced trauma. Again, you can check out the show notes at thatmusicteacher.com slash podcast. 
And if you want to grab that freebie, five ways to better serve your students with exceptional needs, you can head over to thatmusicteacher.com slash exceptional learners, or you can click the link in the show notes and that'll take you there as well. I hope that you have an amazing week making music with your kids, and I'll see you next Wednesday for an extra special episode.